0: Welcome to the Theology Ki Baath podcast, where Christian theologians and Bible scholars talk about issues from India and how we, as Indian Christians, can engage these issues through biblical and theological reflection. Theology Ki Baath is a podcast by the faculty of the Evangelical Theological Seminary of the Asian Christian Academy of India and ACA Media. You can learn more about ETS at www.ethical.org ets-india.org, and about the other ministries of ACA at www.acaindia.org. Well, welcome to this uh, special edition of Theology Kibad podcast. It's a special edition because we're really going to focus on the topic of Christmas. But it's also special because we have uh, an extra guest. Uh, we have Dr. L.D. Eldos, Director of PhD Studies with us, along with Dr. Saji Thomas, Director of Demon Studies. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of Christmas, specifically as we look at it from our Indian evangelical perspective. One of the important or key questions that often gets asked is, you know, should we celebrate this? Uh, It's not exactly given clearly in the Bible that it's December 25th. there are not many clear evidences for it being celebrated. Should we celebrate it? And what about certain origins about where does this festival come from? And uh, the second part of our discussion really then goes to the theological significance of the birth narratives. What do they tell us? Why are they there for? And what it, why is it important for us to uh, study these narratives, not just because they're scripture, but because of what they say about Christ and the story of the Bible. So before we go into our discussion, I just want to read a verse to kind of lay out a little bit of the context from Romans chapter 14, verse 5, which says, One person prefers one day over another, and another person regards every day alike. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. And this is where Paul is talking about the important concept of Christian liberty. There are a lot of areas in Christian life where we may have disagreements, we have different positions. What we're talking about, at least the first part, on whether to celebrate or not, is not a foundational doctrinal issue. The second part about what this means about the person of Christ, that is significant and that is very foundational. But the first part is again something that we have to look at in the context of Christian liberty. Different communities will have different reasons to celebrate and to not celebrate. We can hear each other's reasons out but we can respect uh, their decisions to do so or not to do so and I think it's important to keep that first part of our discussion in the context of Christian liberty. So with that let's go into the question of the celebration of Christmas. Now, in India, among evangelicals, like I said, there are are debates. Some argue we shouldn't celebrate it. Some have been celebrating it as part of their tradition for many years. What should evangelicals do? And I know that many times people in the churches, they want definitive answers. They say, tell us, what is the correct way? And I think, like I said, we're starting off by saying that There's freedom, but we can probably talk about reasons for doing it, maybe reasons, good reasons maybe not to do it, and maybe elements which we may have to question in terms of our traditions and practices. But I think that's where we want to start out the discussion. In the practical side of things, should we celebrate Christmas? And so I'll open it up to either one of you to start saying what you guys think about that.
1: All right. Um, uh, thank you, Dr. Stephen, uh, for uh, the second uh, topic that we have selected—quite a timely one—and uh, thank you, Dr. Uh, LD, for joining us. Um, uh, this, of course, I think, uh, is um, uh, quite quite a nice balance here. We have a theologian, and, and um, you know, uh, myself from a pastoral uh, point. Although I like to think that I think <laughs> theologically as well. Uh, But I think it strikes a good balance because the church need um, theologians uh, to inform and to teach and uh, to challenge us. And uh, the pastors, you know, bring the seal and the pastoral care to the members to guide them, you know, on a regular daily basis. So this this is a good topic, uh, a topic as an example also for many other such topics as we think about it. Uh, So uh, coming to the uh, point, should we... Celebrate Christmas. The answer, of course, is yes, because uh, it uh, uh, it reminds us of the most important doctrine, Christian doctrine, of uh, the second person of the Trinity coming down into this world. And so, Christmas is a doctrinal celebration. Um, now, having said that, you know there are other sub questions. If we do it, when do we do it? How do we do it? And when? Uh, is uh, or how? What are the advantages of celebrating Christmas, uh, or any other programs, and uh, or any other Christian celebrations? There are also uh, questions like: Are there challenges to celebrating? Um, and, and now I'm speaking more as a pastor. Are there challenges to celebrating Christmas? What are some things that we add on? Uh, and uh, pastorally, what are some challenges we face with people guiding them? Uh, thinking them through issues. Uh, but the answer is, should we? Yes, we should celebrate Christmas. That would be my answer. Dr. Eldi.
2: Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dr. Stephen and uh, Dr. Uh, Saji for having me on this show. And this is an exciting topic to talk about. And I think Pastor Saji rightly mentioned that we must or we should celebrate uh, Christmas. Of course, then the question is, is December 25th the, the day to celebrate or January 6th as some of the Eastern traditions do. Uh, The date, of course, can be a problem. Uh, You know, that is for some people, they don't necessarily, as Dr. Uh, Stephen just read the text, don't want to prioritize one day over another. So they may have a problem with it. But the basic question is, uh, should we or should we not? And with a caveat, I would say, yes, we should. And the caveat is this, that in the Old Testament, God had Definitely, ask the nation Israel to remember certain days as special. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day of Passover, uh, especially the festival of Booths, they were supposed to reenact as an entire nation mm-hmm. uh, in dwelling in booths, basically temporary shelters or tents. Today, what we can call tents. What did that do to the uh, generation of uh, Israelites who had never experienced the Exodus journey? Uh, this was to relieve be in the shoes of those who have gone before them, and to thank God uh, for His miraculous uh, work on their behalf, and that's why they are there today, because God was so gracious to their forefathers. Uh, Having said that, because this is something, of course, God had directly demanded the people to do, and with regard to Christmas, people would say, of course, then it's not commanded in Scripture. Right. Uh, Well, that's the caveat. Of course, it's not commanded, uh, but then, We uh, celebrate, uh, or most Christians, evangelical Christians, would think that we should have uh, December 31st year-end observance Mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, New Year observance, right? Uh, Those are pagan holidays.
1: Uh, So, yeah. That that actually opens up the same set of questions, you know, should we or shouldn't we? And then if we do, how do we... or you know how to avoid challenges. Well,
0: you know again, if we were to take another side, well, there are you know, in some traditions, lots of other celebrations. The Annunciation is a day, mm-hmm. Epiphany, um, and I, I'm not sure if there's one day for Jesus' baptism. If they have uh, a, a Pentecost, mm-hmm. Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there are many days that are part of you know certain traditions, liturgical calendar. Say for example, um, and so one argument has always been, well, it's you know that's what they do. That's part of traditions. That's always been a problem. Uh, but maybe that's not a good criticism to say that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, so the question really goes to the significance of why we would want to put Christmas, say, versus Annunciation or Epiphany or any of those. And I think that goes to maybe the bigger question of what really uh, what is really happening when we talk about the coming of Christ, the Incarnation. And that becomes a, a key, key question. But kind of sticking more on the other side of it, okay, now— We're not so sure about the dates. Now, how did we come to these dates that we have? December 25th for most of the Western Church and January 6th for the Eastern. Where does that come from?
1: Let uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Eldi start that, but I just wanted to catch on um, something that you mentioned, comment on something that you mentioned about the Eastern Church not celebrating on 25th, but on January 6th. And uh, I grew up in a, I think both of us grew up in... Uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition and uh, the Eastern Orthodox tradition does not put that much emphasis on the uh, Christmas regardless of which day it is as much as they do on the pas, um, on the Passion Week. Correct. The mm-hmm. Good Friday and mm-hmm. Easter is a huge deal for them but not mm-hmm. so much the Christmas. That's been my experience as I grew Correct. Up. Yeah, this is also uh, another week of Lent
2: uh, for uh, some of the Eastern Orthodox churches right. I think Greek Orthodox would be more so than the Coptic oriented churches, which which would be like a Syrian Jacobite yes. church of yes. which, um, you know, I myself have been part uh, growing up. Um, so yeah, the history is very interesting. Uh, you know, historians have not really uh, come to a consensus as to when Christmas celebration began and when uh, December twenty fifth was kind of the date that was picked. And people would ask all these kinds of questions that could this have been the real uh, time to celebrate Christmas because, you know, if the shepherds have to be outdoors, wouldn't that have been really colder weather and all kinds of questions. Uh, Let me start with the negative side of history and then we will go to the positive side of history. The negative side of history is this, that which we know from about 18th to 19th century,
0: Mm. uh,
2: about 1846 or so. We began to talk about uh, the critical scholarship, and they began to talk about how Christianity had adopted pagan practices, whether that is with regard to baptism, because mystery religions had already practiced baptizing for the dead, which uh, Paul references in First Corinthians 15. Uh, so these people were basically the liberal scholars, people who did not necessarily. Uh, treat the word of God, Bible as God's word, inherent and infallible word of God. For them, Christianity was just a copycat of Judaism, but an improved version of Judaism. And then with uh, Constantine's conversion and uh, Roman empire becoming a Christian empire, uh, they said, you know, the pagan practices, because Rome was a pagan uh, empire, the pagan practices were now Christianized sometimes as Christians when uh, we become Christians like you know each church is reflective of the culture that it is part of we Christianize culture right um, whether it's leaving our shoes outside the church uh, or, or those kind of you know minutiae of issues uh, we would try to highlight because it's part of the culture So the question was this that did early Christians or after the Empire had become Christianized, did Christians simply Christianize the pagan practices? And some would like to think that, yes. But the reason they want to say that, that this is what has happened, is to undermine all other doctrines we uh, truly right. treasure and right. value.
1: Right, right.
2: So we can't undermine that aspect. So, But uh, going back to the 19th century, they began to say that, okay, There was a celebration uh, of uh, uh, Saul Invictus, uh, the unconquered son. Uh, This was done by uh, Julian, the emperor. Uh, Aurelius had uh, done this earlier. But Julian was also known as Julian the apostate, uh, who would be the grandson of Constantine the emperor, Mm. who became uh, the emperor in uh, 361 AD. And 363, he uh, died. Uh, at a young age about 30 plus years old, uh, he died. Um, so he uh, against Christians, uh, because of Christian uh, veneration of Christ and talking about Christ being the Son of righteousness, that the language lingo was already there uh, in Christian uh, vocabulary, he wanted to make a point saying that let's have a day for the real uh, the celestial object, you know the sun. The celestial body, the sun. So Sol Invictus, uh, or the unconquered sun in English, uh, was a day that was uh, designated, and this was uh, on December 25th. But then there were other reasons why this day was particularly uh, familiar. In Nordic countries, this was celebrated, and, and other places. Uh, it's because that is the winter solstice. Winter solstice. Yes. Yeah, the Bec- days were uh, becoming, becoming short. And, yes. Yeah. Correct. And then they are awaiting for the new birth of the sun. Uh, By about mid-Feb, the sun would come. So the celebration of uh, cutting trees, bringing that in uh, to remind the people that, hey, green uh, leaves will come out and, and, you know, all kinds of other uh, celebrations and other uh, things were added on to the Christmas day. So critical scholars would say Christians later on from about 16th century and they would often uh, blame it on the lutherans or luther himself who made December 25th such a prominent day saying that this was just a pagan practice but uh, it was the mis- you know the mistake or or the error on the part of luther who made it uh, such a significant day and then christians just followed it uncritically hmm. so this was a hmm. pagan day that hmm. is the negative history yeah. Uh, the positive side of the history is this, if you, about from third century, if you look at uh, the, the day, uh, for example, Cyril of Alexandria uh, would talk about, in third century, would talk about various dates being proposed for uh, the birth of Christ, from August, September, October. November, different dates were proposed. So he was saying that look, there's already a lot of confusion.
1: Oh, within the church there were different yes. views about which day. Correct. Okay. okay, okay.
2: And different heretical teachers were right. uh, promoting, you know, yeah, promoting views. and 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 you know, pitting for one day over the other. And then uh, later on, if you look at in the history of the church, what we will find is that when John Chrysostom uh, became, who was a pagan priest, who became a, a Christian. Uh, preacher who was converted. He actually preached against any pagan practices, even Christianity having anything to do with uh, paganism at all. And he uh, spoke against them, uh, the uh, Donatists, uh, of which Augustine was a member, and then later on, who would write against. They themselves would talk and and uh, viciously or uh, you know very vocally against any. Uh, Pagan adaptation: Christians adapting any pagan practices, but they all celebrated Christmas. The Donatists, John Chrysostom, and others all proposed that we must uh, celebrate Christmas because uh, this is something uh, in which we are telling the whole world of this good news. Without the birth of Christ, there can't be the death of Christ. I mean, uh, some churches, of course, uh, would uh, you know put more weight on Easter. Uh, versus Christmas. So the argument is that if Christ is not born, how could he die? Uh, so so then later on, by about 5th century, uh, many Eastern churches were already celebrating Christmas. And the date were sliding between uh, December 25th and January 6th. Hence, to accommodate that, the 12 days of Christmas. Although right, these right, days, right, the 12 days of Christmas is before <laughs> December 25th. Right. It used to be there to ca- account for this Uh, the disparity between the dates. And the way they arrived at the date uh, was uh, very uh, scientific, it might look like, but very uh, detailed, intricate theological rationale. They would say that because Christ was crucified, again, two dates, uh, the East versus the West. West, uh, March 25th, and uh, for the East, it's April 6th. Again, twelve days between the uh, between the two. The differences as in Christmas. So they would say the day Jesus was conceived is the same day he died. That is the understanding because he was born to die. The idea was this that the very you know the annun- the annunciation, the announcement of Gabriel to Mary was this: He will save his people from sin. Hmm, Right. hmm, hmm. So Jesus was already designated to die even before he was conceived. That was the announcement. So they would then calculate the nine months of gestational period from the death of Christ. Right. Because they believe that Jesus died on the same uh, day that he was conceived. Then he would be born nine months will be December 25th. December
1: 25th. Or if you took April uh, 6th, you will get uh, Jan 6th. Exactly. That's how we get the dates.
0: So what if we were to look at uh, some other, maybe some views which hold to maybe a ha- harder Biblicist approach to, to, to Christian life? Uh, if it's not in the Bible, then we shouldn't do it. And I think probably the problem with that is the Bible doesn't say a lot of things. Uh, for example, one of the examples I give is you know evangelism. What does the Bible say about how do we do evangelism? Do we give tracts? Uh, do we speak to people? Do we do it open air? Very important practice, but it's not prescribed. And so uh, there may be some who want to say, you know, if it's not in the Bible, then I refuse to do that. Well, then you'll probably not be able to do a lot of different things. And that's also viewing the Scripture uh, with an intent that it doesn't have, in the sense the Scripture is not intended to give you a day-by-day playbook of exactly everything you are to do. So, But the other part of it is, as Christians who live in a culture— we have um, we are part of society, and celebration is, in a sense, part of being human. And you look at the Old Testament festivals, those had theological meanings, but God was understanding the social dimension of what those uh, acts meant and how they communicated. So for us, one of the powerful um, ways of communicating the story of Christ is through a celebration. And one of the things as we think about even in our Indian culture is how festivals are so important. And uh, people who are not Christians, they understand us a little better through a festival than it is through anything else. If you were to talk about the story, they may or may not get it. But a festival, okay, there's a story behind it. And then there's a celebration. And then there's a connection. Now, we've also got to be careful of how those celebrations um, are connected to the other festivals that we are distinctly christian but at the same time we want to make a, a point of contact so in that kind of a balance where uh, or w- where do you think christians need to think you know how far do we go to av- one on one side to avoid syncretism of being so enmeshed and being almost not indistinct from uh, another faith but on the other hand how do we Tell the story and celebrate it in a way that communicates the gospel. How do we move between these two these two ends? Uh,
1: so uh, I'd like to first, uh, you know, start by uh, uh, reflecting as a pastor myself that we sometimes can uh, tend to criticize everything that, in appearance, uh, is uh, similar to that of the traditional churches, like the Roman Catholic Church or. We don't want to do what the Roman Catholics do, for example, or for uh, other traditional or mainline churches. That's something that we struggle with Um, uncritically. We just judge everything. And uh, sometimes we can actually make huge mistakes in making uh, the preaching point when we are not being, uh, you know, uh, true to the scriptures. So that's that's one. And on the other, uh, just reflecting back, it's kind of a little maybe a question. Uh, just what I was just wondering if uh, the first two centuries there are, of course, no reference, first two centuries of Christianity, there are no references to uh, early Christians celebrating Christmas. And I was just thinking maybe, I mean, they. Uh, it, it would have been hard for them even to gather on a Sunday, leave alone, celebrate, you know, like the rest of the Romans. Uh would do. That may be one reason. Of course, we don't know. We are conjecturing, but we do see that from the third century or mm-hmm. second part of the third century, there were some of the more pious people were are celebrating kind of the Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting observation you, you made. Now, um, as a pastor, uh, I see uh, uh, on the one hand, there are huge benefits of the church gathering together apart from the Sunday Our worship service. By the way, let me just you know put a you know side note here. In one sense, the uh, early Christianity were kind of looked down upon because the Roman uh, pagan religion had you know every other day was like a festival, and so the Christianity didn't have any festival. On the one hand, but on the other hand, if you look at it, you have fifty-two days of festival, you know fifty-two weeks. Every Sunday is a festival celebrating the Lord's uh, death, especially in the you know, uh, Lord's stable, but I think uh, churches have a huge advantage of doing uh, anything other than the normal Sunday, because Sundays again can become mundane, routine. You know, okay, let's get get done with one more Sunday uh, until the next Sunday, and we become kind of Sunday Christians. But uh, and so uh, the church coming together to do anything has huge benefits. So. Uh, if we can think about, you know, the celebration involves, celebration of Christmas involves, for example, a number of things. In our church for a long time, we used to have cantata, uh, a two hour long cantata of music presentation. Man, we started in October sometime, uh, you know, every week coming together, practicing, uh, apart from it, you know, cultivating uh, and fostering talents and things like that. It provided a huge opportunity for discipleship. Because those are times when, you know, sometimes children who are not Christians would come. We have opportunity to share the gospel, um, you know, spiritual formation. I, I remember one time we were putting together at Banaswari Bible Church a uh, musical drama. And uh, yeah, right in the middle, there was some huge confusion with, among the team. And uh, they, they knocked on my door at like six in the morning. Uh, I said, we are canceling this. And um, so I said, okay, let's go out for a and have a chat. And what turned out was a time of uh, spiritual formation. Uh, some of those opportunities you don't get if you stick to just Sunday. So I'm, I'm thinking about a number of benefits when church come together to do any, uh, any kind of program. Um, the, there are many other uh, benefits. At Bethel again, Bethel Baptist in Kermula, uh, We uh, we started Now, traditionally, the more um, fundamental Baptist churches don't do uh, December 25th because I don't think, you know, they are convinced that December 25th is the actual date. So why celebrate a day when it's not historically accurate? Uh, Whatever the case may be, uh, we, our first founding pastor, thought that we were at at that time in Koramangla, a new suburb. And a lot of people had to drive extra at that time. I mean, there's no comparison to how much we drive now to go to church. But at that time, you know, driving five kilometers is too much to go downtown to their own churches. So having a Christmas service on, uh, on the Christmas day provided a uh, you know, great opportunity for the neighbors uh, to come and participate in the service. And it provided an opportunity to share the gospel. And so we, for the longest period of our church, we are now 40 years uh, or 39 actually uh, we had the Christmas Day service but somewhere along it became like too redundant now we don't have we are actually now moved to Egypt where uh, the social um, you know, makeup demography is slightly different than most people that come to church so we kind of go there to do church and we don't get neighbors coming in we get people from far because they look up for a church Baptist Church may be on the Google and find us, and then they come. So uh, the Christmas Day service doesn't serve the same original purpose as in the beginning. And so we thought about why don't we cancel it? And that's when we realized, no, 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 you can't touch that day. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, the people who have joined without knowing the meaning and the purpose of why we started having that service, they said, you can't touch that day. You have to have a Christmas service. And then the question is, why? Uh, and and the answer, of course, is we have always done it. So <laughs> one of the challenges of repeating these kind of things is we have always done it. It's part of our tradition that we're, we perpetuate without really understanding the meaning. Um, I think anything that we do in the church, we, the present congregation, the present pastors in the congregation, must ascribe meaning to any symbol. So Christmas is a symbolic day. So we must ascribe, we must explain, why are we doing what are we doing? And if we can't do that, then we are just repeating and perpetuating a tradition meaninglessly. And people are people, and people would rather hold on to something rather than the truths of the scriptures. So that, that would
0: be my first response. Well, And I think that shows the power of tradition as communities. Traditions have a, such a binding effect on what forms us and have such a formative power that you know, we can't dismiss it so easily. We can't want to say, hey, let's always remove tradition. Sometimes we have a tradition of always breaking traditions. That's <laughs> become a tradition in itself that we don't have a tradition. And I think what we don't realize is that they are very powerful and they can be used, if used with wisdom, for the formation, for telling the story, and for a lot of value Uh, For the benefit of the church, the things like you mentioned, discipleship, uh, telling the community uh, the gospel story. And again, for people who don't know much about Christianity, they may know two things. They may know, okay, they celebrate Christmas. They may not know much about Easter, but they do know more about Christmas. And I think that's mainly maybe because maybe in the West, because it's been uh, part of a lot of their movies and popular culture. So you see it there. You don't see much on on Easter, the other side of it, maybe more the traditional churches have more celebrations, and Easter, Easter maybe it may be more a little more difficult for um, those who are not Christians to understand. Why do you celebrate? You know, the death and resurrection. Birth, okay, everybody celebrates a birthday, so why can't we celebrate Christ's birthday? So there's maybe maybe there's it easier to understand than maybe some of the others. But going back to the just the power of what a tradition does, but on. And the downside of it is, like you said, a tradition can just be that binding force of a community, but who would have lost its connection to the grand story of why why we do it. And when that happens, that's where we have a dead orthodoxy or a dead tradition. And that's where the criticism of tradition comes in, that these things are distractions because they don't bring you to the story of the Bible. But if used wisely, it can be a very powerful. And actually bringing us closer and and helping us reflect quite deeply, you know, whether they are nativity scenes or skits or songs, they're all powerful ways of teaching uh, and strengthening and helping us reflect on an event. And another thing is, you know, sometimes those passages are not touched throughout the year, except during that time, yes. and it needs to be talked about because the incarnation is. A huge event in the history of the world and we we have to talk about that and this is the time to talk about it so maybe with that we can kind of connect to the to the other part of the significance of Christmas is we can talk about the traditions we can talk about the practices but what about the theology why is this significant why have the the gospel writers mentioned it we know we don't see it in Mark we don't see it in John But Matthew and Luke talk about it. So is it that important if only half of them talk about it? Why is it there? What are are some of the the things that the gospel writers are trying to tell us?
1: Uh, Even though the nativity, I'll I'll let uh, Dr. L.D. respond, though, but uh, even though uh, John does not uh, give us the narrative of the nativity scene, he gives this 18 verses loaded theological interpretation of it. right. Uh, technically then it's just the shorter Shorter. uh, mark that does not give us uh, uh, Yeah, but even then he does begin with this is the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God Uh, so yeah you're right Uh, all the gospel writers one way or the other you know the New Testament uh, definitely celebrates so uh, Uh, before I
2: answer that question I'll just go back to the previous question of tradition and what I can give you an example of where we might see that, you know, because the traditional churches celebrate something, uh, the evangelicals don't want to do. For example, a scripture verse like the Lord's Prayer. As evangelicals, we have no problem with John 3.16, uh, repeating every, every so often. And that's one of the first verses we require our children to memorize. That's one of the first verses I rem- memorize myself. Uh, but Lord's Prayer, isn't that? something uh, part of the inspired inner and text uh, if you as a church as a church we can actually recite John three sixteen. absolutely no problem evangelicals right but if as a church just try doing that in a, in an evangelical church and you will see uh, you know the conversations that <laughs> uh, that such a simple act would create this is part of God's word I think we have a myopic view of what we like and what we don't like. Sometimes it's convenient things. Like you know, it is uh, holiness of convenience or justice of convenience, uh, those kind of things. Certain things that doesn't cost us much, therefore we like to do that because it's very convenient for us. For example, uh, I'll you know I'm wandering into a territory, but just just for the sake of example without uh, you know dwell, delving much deeper into it, abortion. It's a hot issue like in the West. I think it's becoming more popular in, in this country as well. Scripture, of course, is very clear that we should not, right? It's very clear because it's taking life and God who gives life and only he has the right to take it. But the flip side of that is this, that God has not only asked us not to uh, kill these four children but preserve, but also provide for the needy, the poor. The the other part I'm not interested or more most Christians are not interested in, in, you know, you know in doing a parade for or uh, a strike for or a darna for or uh, what of that for, right? Uh, but uh, we can, uh, you know, do all kinds of strikes before an abortion clinic. Uh, I'm not uh, saying that abortion clinics should exist. Of course not. But the other side is that God has asked us as God's people to take care of the poor and the needy. Uh, So that's because one is convenient because we are not practicing abortion. So it's very easy for us to speak against it. Uh, But the other thing would cost us, which we are not doing. Therefore, we don't want to talk about it. right? So now coming back to the question uh, that uh, Dr. Stephen just asked about why some gospel writers give nativity or the uh, infancy narratives, the birth narratives, and others don't. Well, uh, I do not know the reasons why exactly some gave and some don't. Uh, The birth of Christ is such a historical, monumental thing. For the first time, God in history is becoming man. It is such a pivotal, such a crucial thing uh, for the gospel writers to talk about. And of course, because the gospel was written to different audiences, whether Matthew to the Jewish audience, you can see him connecting that with their father, the great father, Abraham. (coughs) Genealogy goes and and stays with Abraham. Whereas Luke's audience are more universal or or, uh, cosmopolitan in that uh, regard. And therefore, he goes all the way back to Adam, the first man. Uh, Maybe a Jewish versus a Greek audience um, or a Gentile audience. Because again, uh, what matters to them? Uh, is a little bit of different kind of genealogy. What the writers are trying to do is this: by doing that, they are trying to portray significance as to where do they belong in this story of God, because this is a story of God creating the entire universe, creating the first humans, Adam and Eve, and then we at their fall, you know, disobedience and sin and the fall. And then all of us, as Romans 5, 12 following talks about, becoming sinners and, and death entering into the world, it's still God actively involved in this broken creation, uh, you know, in, uh, implementing his plan of redemption. And where do we come in with regard to that? That is why infancy narratives or the birth narratives are so important to the gospel writers, at least to those two audiences that... Uh, the Holy Spirit led them to write to, because the, the gospel writers are putting their story within the story of God. We are created by God in His image and likeness, marred as it is because of sin, God is still involved uh, in this universe, and He is interested in you and me as individuals. And this is our connection to Jesus Christ. If you want to know how you would like to be connected to Christ, as a Jew, of course, you would like to be connected to Jesus through Abraham. The great father, and of course, the genealogy would trace all the way back through David to Jesus. Uh, and for a, a gentile who has nothing to do with the Jewish origin or the particular nationality, would like to know, hey, where, where's my role? Where do where does God come into my picture? And and Luke tells us this is how uh, God comes into your picture, and you're part of God's story, this grand narrative. Therefore, for them, this story is very important. Just think about it for a second. After God creating the whole world, the universe, even more important than that is God becoming man. Isn't that something worth thinking about, worth talking about? Uh, and that is why even um, you know the uh, Magnificat, the, the song of uh, Mary and, and Elizabeth and then uh, Simon, the Benedictus, right? uh, the blessing uh, of Simon, of Jesus, eight-day-old Jesus was taken to the temple. And then there is uh, him praising Jesus and praising God because he says salvation has come. My eyes have seen uh, the the salvation salvation that has come, right? Because these people are eagerly waiting for the salvation. and, And this is the moment of salvation, not just the death. And sometimes I think evangelical Christians, we have a misplaced theology. We don't Sometimes, thing I'm not saying everybody. This is an overgeneralization. Of course, there there are exceptions, but generally speaking, evangelicals don't think that the birth of Christ is as important as his death.
0: Mm. Sometimes, not even resurrection. Mm. Uh, there was one interesting statement: evangelicals are good explaining why Jesus died, but not why Jesus lived. <laughs> uh, and I think that goes back to your point: is is this birth? Because we, the focus is always on the death, and because of course the writers. Spend so much of the passion narratives on that, there's right, I mean, rightly so, there's a lot of weight there. But what does the life mean? And the birth is really the beginning of that, that whole story.
2: And and without which, there is no salvation for us. See, uh, the life of Christ is just as salphic as his death and his resurrection. Go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 8 following. It says, The Son of God learned obedience
0: Mm
2: -hmm. for the sake of us who were disobedient. I mean, what does it mean for the Son of God to learn obedience? Just think about it for a second. He's the very definition of obedience. God to learn obedience is unthinkable. Of course, it wasn't for his sake that he learned obedience. It's for our sake. So without him living a perfect human life, he couldn't have completed those. uh, And he does that. So... Uh, and and in Hebrews uh, four again, uh, and in chapter two also
1: yeah, it's mentioned. Yeah, we actually thinking of Hebrews mm. two where it says Fresh and, and blood he had yeah. to be made yes. like his yes. brother, and and then the chapter concludes yes. with the high priestly role, so Absolutely. that we have an access through our brother. So mm-hmm. the the birth of. Christ in the flesh mm-hmm. uh, was a very important doctrine even Paul in celebrating our salvation Romans chapter 8 yes would you believe it you know God uh, what the law could not do God did yes. by sending his son in the likeness of flesh yes and like- in
2: the fullness of time yes. born of a woman right. uh, Galatians 4 mean, yes, yes. these are even in for Paul this is so important the birth of Christ of course the way he weaves in the story is slightly different uh, from the gospel writers and also for evangelicals this is not to just <laughs> pick on us but to say that even the resurrection is not important it is the death of christ because the institution of the lord's table i think evangelicals would agree that we must have them we must commemorate them remember them as often as we can right but paul says in first corinthians 15 that if christ is not raised right. from the dead we are still ours. it's still in our sins because what does that mean Christ would have been like any other 600 or so people who claimed to be Messiahs by Jesus' time. Jesus was not the first candidate. There were about 600 people. Even Barabbas would have been one of those. And that perhaps was the reason why they were asking, uh, you know, Pilate to release Barabbas. Because what was the question of the disciples after Jesus' resurrection in Acts 1.6? Really at this time, time restored the kingdom. And Barabbas was also trying to bring the Jewish kingdom uh, through a different process, through a different means. So if Jesus had remained dead, he would have been like any other, other 599 or other 600 or so people. What sets Jesus apart is his birth and his resurrection. Death, there were other two criminals who were Crucified along with him, so crucifixion and and that kind of uh, an execution was not uncommon in uh, in the uh, Roman world. So it's the death of Christ is, of course, it's absolutely unique uh, because he's not just man, but it's is the very Son of God who is dying on the cross. For that, of absolutely, and but it's not just the death of Christ. Yes, but it's also the resurrection because Paul says, if Christ is not risen, we are in still in our sins. So the birth of Christ is just as important as his death and his resurrection. Um, We could
1: say that the birth facilitated the death of Christ. Absolutely. And his resurrection is what makes his atonement complete. Because as Paul Mm -hmm. says in Romans chapter 4, we Mm -hmm. are justified Mm -hmm. by his resurrection. The last line of chapter 4. Yeah,
2: Uh, and uh, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says he's declared with power to be the son of God through resurrection, right? But we don't celebrate Easter either, right? So the day of resurrection, that is the reason we actually meet today on Sunday instead of Saturday. It's the day of resurrection, right? Uh, So we still worship on Sunday, but not on Easter Sunday, (laughs) right? We have a problem because I think, uh, as Dr. Saji had mentioned earlier, we like to throw the baby with the bathwater sort of situation, right? Uh, traditional churches do it, so we don't want to do it, or guilt by association. Whatever they did, we want to run the opposite direction as far away as possible. Uh, sometimes it's not worth it.
0: And I think, you know, even if you look at Matthew's account of it, he what he does a lot of is showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and the importance, again, of the story in a sense, pointing forward to you know being born of a woman, uh, pointing back to the you know Genesis three fifteen, and you know the seed of a woman, and uh, this being a virgin birth, all of which again pointing back from promises that Jesus is a fulfillment and a continuation, or the fulfillment of all of the aspirations of the Old Testament, and the story of of the Christmas is the beginning of all of the fulfillment happening because Jesus comes. One of the questions that many people ask and think about is how does an infinite God now become a human? How does an finite how does the infinite take on the finite? How does that happen? Isn't that a contradiction in terms? What happens? How does that how does it exist Christologically if you were to ask? And does the does the Christmas story help us help us with understanding that a little better
2: i think it definitely does because that is why uh, many churches and very early on they have recognized the power of the story of christmas because unlike in any other region mm-hmm. and especially the greco-roman world uh, they were uh, used to so many kinds of uh, fabulous stories uh, you know extravagant outrageous stories about uh, uh, you know the the birth of the gods This is unlike any of those. And that is why uh, for the uh, gospel writers, when they place the story uh, of Christmas or the infancy narratives, they give so much importance and details in in some sense. Not everything, but there's a lot of details in it, whether when he was born or or under uh, which uh, governor and under which Caesar historically he was born to say that this is the point in time in human history because God is beyond space and time. But this is the God who created the universe, who, who has been part of this universe. While he has been a transcendent God, he has always been involved with this universe. But this time it's going to be different. His kind of involvement is going to be different. He is going to physically come into this world born as a human. Of course, human beings were created in the image and likeness of God. And now that God, whom uh, God who created humans in his own image and likeness, when he saw that humans have failed and the image and likeness was not restored or, or lost, here is God himself, the Son of God himself, becoming man to restore that in full obedience to uh, the Godhead. So the story of Christmas is... In that sense, it's the story of the Son of God coming down into this world. Uh, it is the condescension of God, right? Uh, in um, We read in Second uh, Corinthians 8, uh, Paul says, right, though he was rich, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That is so critical that the Son of God who is so rich became so poor because the scene and in the manger is so critical for this theology to emerge. That God who created the entire universe, therefore he owns the entire universe, is now not having a place to lay his head. When he was born he didn't have a place. And when the disciples come to Jesus, Jesus tells the same story. Hey, I didn't have a place when I was born. My story is still the same. I haven't built mansions here. Unlike some of us, you know, we would like to have a better life. Even if our birth was pretty (laughs) obscure and not in a great setting, we would like to upgrade, right? We would like to, uh, you know, better future. But for the Son of God, he left that behind. As Philippians 2 tells us, he could have remained there, but for our sake, he became poor and so lowly. There's perhaps there's perhaps no other way in the, or perhaps this is the best way in the Jewish world to talk about lowliness. Someone who is so poor and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they also talk so much theology about the forthcoming, typologically about his death uh, the wise men, the Magi, is visiting, right? The spices they bring will remind of various aspects of who this baby was, right? And uh, the the uh, announcement of 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 the angels to the shepherds, who are again uh, not the the wealthiest or the greatest of all, to them what, Savior is born, for you people. And where do the Magi go? They go to uh, the the palace of Herod because that's where they would think uh, royalty comes from. And naturally, Jesus is born of the kings, right? Uh, the king of the Jews, born as the king of the Jews. So they, they're rightly going to the palace and asking, hey, where is he? Can we see? That is when the whole uh, wheel turns, right? Begins to turn. The domino effect on uh, Herod's mind. And then, of course, we know the atrocities he unleashed. But the birth of Christ was important now for him to relate to our sinful situation our poverty that's why paul says though he was rich he became poor so that we who are poor can now become rich so this can't be possible without the story of christmas
0: you know one of the things we we hear the word is incarnational ministry oftentimes Uh, and i think of that i i kind of think of jesus in a sense modeling what mission or what the life of a missionary should be you know you think about jesus the creator now a baby he can't clean himself mother has to do everything he, he could he just spoke the word and the and the world was created now the mother has to feed him the mother has to clean him he became a human learned obedience as a human being and lived as a human being and that's where the condescension comes in and, and one of the analogies i give I, I say you know when a person wants to go to a a place where they've never been. They have to learn the language. I said learning the language is almost you have to become like a baby. You know, you're a fully functional adult, but now to even ask for a toothpaste, you talk like a two-year-old. And it's embarrassing, it's humiliating. When you think, man, in my own place, I can, I'm a fully functional adult. Now, I come to this foreign place, and I can't even ask for a toothpaste without struggling. I need somebody to help me. And again, you get a picture of, you know, the God who was... I get the, the comparison is is not even there. We're just talking about moving from one place to another, and the condescension is so small. But the condescension of from what God did to this, there is no comparison uh, to 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 grasp that. And Christmas is a time, and again, those stories, like you mentioned, you know, being born in a manger but not in the palace, uh, having shepherds come and and greet you all our important pictures and parts of the story that really, for our sake, tell a little bit about that condescension that we need to try to get a grasp of, but we cannot fully understand until we know and see the glory of of Christ himself. And I think these are all important parts of why the Christmas story is so important that uh, remembering these things at once in a year and really spending time with these stories and, and the theology behind it is worth it for our churches, for our communities, and for the really, the, the, it's as an important part of the gospel. And if the downside of Christmas may be this, is that we don't talk about those narratives because we say, oh, I won't touch those because we'll touch those at Christmas. And that may be the downside. But if we are taking it as part of the church life, as part of Christian life, this needs to be told. This needs to be part of our Story. And so, for those maybe who, who don't celebrate the day, these stories, this is a very important part of how these stories are part of the gospel story. How are they taught and what do they tell us about Christ and how are, are our churches telling that? Even if they don't have the day, they cannot ignore uh, the theology, the Christology of, of what we understand about this Christ that happen.
1: Another aspect I was uh, thinking of and uh, Dr. L.D. Uh, touched upon um, a very assuring aspect of Christ's incarnation is the imminence of God with man. Uh, Emmanuel, he is, God is with us. And um, uh, even when, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, the scriptures talk about the nearness of, uh, you know, God being among men, uh, John, in his interpretation, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and verse 14 says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." Um, and uh, you know, a couple of passages, uh, at least in, in my mind right now, that uh, where the incarnation is tied to also the advent of the Holy Spirit, we would not have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit without the incarnation Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. You know, Romans Mm -hmm. chapter 8, the same passage, or, uh, you know, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. That's in the passage of, in the context of talking about that that which God had promised Mm -hmm. as a token uh, of inheritance is now come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That would not have happened without the Son of God uh, being born of a woman. Uh, yeah. So the assurance that God is with us in this day, with us uh, because of incarnation, such an assuring, you know, aspect of uh, celebrating Christmas.
0: Well, and it kind of goes back to you know what you were saying about how the whole life of Christ is part of uh, the story, and that uh, what, what brings about our salvation. Otherwise. Christ could come straight from heaven to the cross, you know, <laughs> die and then be resurrected. Yes. And then it would have taken care of of just those elements. Why is that birth and the life mattering? Because that's part of the whole work of Christ together. And
2: I think that is, I think you've summarized it, that we are appreciating the process. This is the process God chose and we are appreciating that. So birth of the Son of God was... Part of that process that God chose to accomplish salvation for us, so we celebrate that. Death on the cross, we celebrate that. Resurrection, we celebrate that. His life, his teaching, his miracles, we celebrate that because this is the process God chose. I mean, God could have just snapped a finger and saved the whole human race, right? He could have done a lot of other things. God is all-powerful, so he could have done a lot of other things but this is the means and the process he chose so we are appreciating that and we must as christians must recognize that and appreciate that process
1: even though when we say god could have in yes. one sense god couldn't yeah, without exactly, actually, exactly. you know going through this very mm-hmm. process in the wisdom of god that's the only way you know to have saved us
2: exactly and we are sitting here thinking that we are wiser than god of course not that is true and here dr saji is absolutely right for God, this was the only way. And that's the way he chose because he's a perfect God. Uh, he doesn't uh, you know, waste anything, uh, let alone the, the life of his own son. The father doesn't waste. So this was God's chosen means. And uh, without birth, of course, uh, and his life, that is also something that would be quite uh, foreign in that sense. So, yeah, all in all, uh, Christmas is a time to uh, reflect on uh, this, uh, just like the day of Passover. was not the only time the nation of Israel was supposed to remember that. Like the, the great Shema reminds them that when you sit, when you are in the field, when you are on the way, remind your children about all of the work that Yahweh, uh, the God of heaven and earth, had accomplished on behalf of you, the feeble ones. But these are special occasions in which you continue to emphasize. As a community, you do it. Passover, uh, or uh, you know the Day of Pentecost, or the uh, Boots, uh, Festival of booths, you name it. This is the community event. Individually, people could of course remember because at home you're teaching your children, so you're probably going through this process. But there is the community aspect of it. So celebration of Christmas also brings communities together. So the communal aspect of God's work, just like in the Old Testament, the the days of festivals were appointed so that the community could come together, all the while they're reminding their children every day of what Yahweh had done. So is, I think, uh, the special occasions. If used the right way. Do we have the potential to misuse, abuse, of course. Mm-hmm. With any good things, we <laughs> have the potential. Uh, so that is, of course, uh, part of the tradition as well.
0: Yeah, And I think that's the other side of it when we you know, see the commercialization. Um, and of course, people are going to use and take advantage of, of it for their own benefit. It's still incumbent upon the Christian community to be the ones who tell the story and say why this is important. And while others may tell a story for their own purposes and you have other, you know, characters of Santa Claus and whatever it might be, at the end of the day, we have to tell the story, the Christ story. And uh, if, if we don't do it, then the popular narratives take over. And in a sense, that's all what people may get to hear. They'll think, oh, Christmas is Santa Claus and the Christmas tree or, a, or a lights nobody is there to tell anything more because, well, we don't want to have anything to do with that, so let's not even do this. And I think we miss out on some really key opportunities with that.
1: I think that, um, you know, uh, in the West, for example, the Christmas season is already, uh, you know, less about Christ and the church, and it's the holiday. It's, It's the holiday season. And in one sense, if we don't correctly celebrate Christmas, and we must celebrate Christmas correctly, Uh, then the world will take over. You you said it rightly, Dr. Stephen. Uh, So uh, I would encourage the pastors, you know, my fellow pastors in the evangelical community to say, if you uh, have Christmas, you know, do it uh, biblically, teach people to think critically about it, Uh, ascribe meaning, talk about the meaning, Uh, celebrate Christmas, but don't wait to talk about, you know, the... Uh, incarnation of Christ till the Christmas comes around the next year <laughs> but preach it through the year
0: well this has been a great discussion thanks uh, Dr. Eldi uh, Dr. Saji and we hope that all for you all of you who are listening that uh, this has been a helpful discussion both practically and theologically again the, good theology is very practical and as you can see that the, the Christmas story is again a very foundational part of the story of Christ we cannot forget that and with that we want to wish all of you a blessed christmas and may you celebrate uh, the incarnation the coming of christ and as we reflect on his condescension and his humility may that be our desire that we become more like christ in every way that we serve each other and the world around us god bless
1: god bless
2: all
0: of you thank you for the opportunity
2: thank you for having me god bless
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Theology Kibath. If you have any questions or have topics or issues you would like us to discuss, please email us at bath, B-A-A-T-H, at acaindia.org.